All right, we uh, want to get a little bit of Nehemiah this morning in the series we're calling Arise and Build. Um, I'd like you to stay seated. I know you're comfortable, so I'm not going to have you get up again. But we have two verses of Scripture that I want to jump into quickly today uh, in order to be able to, to cover a little bit of ground in a few verses in chapter 5 and uh, chapter 6 this morning. The title of the message today is called Three Little Things with a Big Impact. How many of you know little things sometimes can have much more power uh, than you ever realize. I remember as a child seeing a little bitty tiny sprout of a tree that got into the crack of a sidewalk and it, people ignored it and the tree continued to grow and it began to crack the sidewalk and it began to move a heavy piece of concrete. Now how a little bitty sapling can move a piece of concrete is beyond my understanding. But how many of you know God can use little things to have big impact? Okay, are you with me? All right, so that's the idea this morning. Three little things with a big impact. We want to look at some leadership lessons very quickly today uh, as we see uh, the book of Nehemiah open. All right, let's get our text. You can remain seated, but read out loud with me, please, if you would. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. God of heaven will do what? And we're going to respond by doing what? We will arise and build. Okay, let's grab a New Testament verse. Read with me. Here we go. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Father, we're overwhelmed this morning as we hear the testimonies of the advancement of the kingdom of God through our brother's ministry. Thank you for those Men and women, I'm reminded of that King James passage in the book of Acts where it says the apostles hazarded their lives for the sake of the gospel. Lord, I, I thank you for these men and women who put their lives on the line, on the front, literally in a new frontier of the gospel message. Lord, bless your church in Turkey. We, we cry out to you right now and we join our hearts together, Lord, in grief over our fellow Christians who lost their lives in Egypt, Lord, this weekend in the attack on that Egyptian Christian church. Be with those families. Guard and guide and protect them, Lord. We cry out to you for peace on earth. We ask you now as we focus our heart together and our attention here on these next few moments, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to move and open our hearts and teach. You're the only teacher. I acknowledge that I can't do anything apart from you. But God, I thank you that I'm not apart from you, that in Christ I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, I'm careful to give you the glory and the praise. It's all you. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, to perceive and understand. We'll be careful to give you the praise. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. All right, three little things that make a big impact. Like the seed in the crack of the sidewalk that ended up moving a piece, a square of the sidewalk, a piece of concrete that literally probably was no less than about 300 pounds, a little bitty tiny seed as it began to grow, even if you let those things that may be in, have an appearance of weakness continue to grow, they have the ability to be much stronger than you realize. So this morning I have three things I want to jump into very quickly um, as we roll into, Je into Nehemiah, I, I, don't, I can't take time for connection the way I usually do to try to sort of connect you to where we are in this. You know they've, they've been building the wall. You see all the rubble is gone because today we will actually read that they finished the wall. So this little bit of 
tiny representation of the, the wall of the city of Jerusalem, which really probably the smallest stone is one of these big ones here. When you look at our Arise and Build graphic, you can see the, the, the rocky terrain of the countryside uh, uh, around Jerusalem. And so we're looking at little things which God calls us to be faithful in. And so my, my one thing this morning that I want to bring to you is this principle. Read this out loud with me. Here we go. A healthy root produces good fruit after you plant a seed. Now, you know what? It's, sometimes things just sort of randomly happen. Uh, birds in the air scatter seeds. But something happens to get a seed into the ground. Once the seed is in the contact with the environment which God created that thing to flourish, and all of the creation of Genesis 1 and 2 and the garden that God made when the rains come down and the, 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 the earth begins to uh, do what it does to that seed and the water begins to, to fertil not fertilize, but to moisten that ground and create that moist environment where that seed begins to germinate after it dies and then it begins to bring forth something entirely new. We see the picture of resurrection. It begins to grow a root that eventually will produce good fruit. A healthy root will produce good fruit after you plant a seed. Uh, it's like this. The miracles for which we pray do not come without you having something to do with them. It's not just relying solely on God's sovereignty, but there is a human responsibility in every miracle that takes place. You have to plant a seed. You have to share the gospel for a life to be transformed. You have to do whatever it is in the little thing, in the seed form, for God to show up in the magnificent way that He has caused, even in natural things, in creation, to be able to do what it does when a baby is born. It defies explanation. When a, when a tree grows up from a tiny seed or a beautiful flower or a rose bush or, or, or whatever, we see this principle takes place. A healthy root produces good fruit after you what? Say it. Plant a seed. And so the, the three things that we're doing this morning, I want you to liken them to seeds that are going to go into the ground of your lives, into the soil of your soul, that will begin to produce the fruit of the kingdom of God. First of all, let's jump in. The, the very first principle that I want you to see is do the right thing. Say that with me. Do the right thing. Now let me give you a little bit of history of what's going on in Nehemiah chapter 5. After he, he does all that, is, that has been happening up to this point, he shares for just a few moments of all the things that he has done not requiring of the people. He had lived right. He had not taken advantage of the people in any kind of way. It said, I didn't require the governor's allowance of the food. I've been lending to the people myself and not expecting any kind of interest. Last week we talked about uh, the rubble and the fear and the greed sometimes that gets into each of our hearts and every one of us, if, we're tr if we tell the truth, if, if we, we don't try to put on some kind of a Bible belt mask and some kind of facade, every one of us has some rubble in our lives, every one of us is dealing with some fear and we're greedy about something. It may not be money, we may be generous with our money and greedy with our time. We may be generous with our time and greedy with our forgiveness. Maybe you're holding a grudge towards somebody and you need to let it go. And so this is the connection to last week's message. After he makes the demands on the people about dealing with their inside opposition, he basically gives his testimony and says, Look guys, I want to tell you, I can make these demands because I have done the right thing in front of you. As a matter of fact, 
in Nehemiah chapter 5, at the very close of this extensive passage of him giving his testimony of how he had lived as a leader before the people, he says, Remember, O my God, all that I have, say it, done. All right, it's, it's about doing. It's about action. Talk is cheap, especially in days of inflation. I'm interested in what you're doing, okay? As a matter of fact, James said it this way, faith without works is what? Dead. And so we want to take action. We want to be people of action. We want to follow through. We don't just want to verbally commit, say we're going to do something, and then not follow through and do it. He says, remember, O God, all that I have done for these people, and I ask you to bless me for it. And so the principle today is do the right thing. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing, you're, you're attempting to lead your family, you're attempting to, to set a vision for your business, you're an entrepreneur, um, you're, you're a community leader, uh, whatever it is, it's important that we do the right thing because people will do what we do, not what we say. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you heard it one time, at least once, from a parent growing up, don't do what I do, do what I say. Or, or, or do what I say, don't do what I do, I think is the way they put it in the order. And, 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 and we've always said for years is that example is caught and not taught. You can't tell people and make a demand on them of what you expect to do in your business, in your job, in your family, the culture that you're creating, the kind of love that you want in your home, the relationship with your spouse. You as parents, moms and dads, have to set the example. And this is the quick principle underneath. You have it in your notes right there in front of you. Right example validates right authority. When I do the right thing, then it's, it validates my command as a leader. And I hate to use that term because it sounds a little bit dictate, dictatorial and that I'm dictating to someone. But how many of you know sometimes uh, there, are, there are moments, I don't believe every moment is this way, but in, in the home, parents just say, look, I'm telling you, this is the way it is. Come on, every parent, raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes if you're going to lead people, God help us, we, we try to lead by example and we lead sheep. We don't drive them like cattle. But once in a while, the line's drawn in the sand and you have to stand up and say, listen, I, I, I beseech you, I beg you, this is what the word of the Lord says. God's called me to be the pastor here. And if I'm going to lead you and the Holy Spirit is going to bless this, this is what we have to do. There is no compromise. We will do. Now, if I'm not doing the right thing myself, I can't make that example uh, people will end up doing what we do and not what we say to do. Are you, are you following? Quickly, number two, respond the right way. Now, this is what I want you to get into because uh, this, this point really is the one I think that is kind of the real uh, meat and potatoes of the message this morning. And that is, and after the attempt of building the wall, after all the delegation, all of the, the cooperation of all the people, Every family rebuilt the wall in front of its, their own house. The priests were involved. The, the craftsmen of the city were involved. Everybody is together and they're motivated. And man, it starts to happen. And here comes the enemy opposition from the outside. And they're wrestling with opposition on the inside. They own, their own kinds of problems. And so Nehemiah faces all of these things. And they really begin to see some great success take place. This now opens up chapter 6 of Nehemiah. And let's read. Here we go. Don't read out loud. I'll just read it to you. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had, everybody say finished, had finished rebuilding the wall and that, everybody say no gaps, 
no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. Okay, the doors in the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I say it, realize, sometimes, how many of you know sometimes you can just know? You may not even have physical evidence, but you can just know down in your knower. How many of you know all of you know that you have a knower? Did you know you have a knower? You might not know that you had a knower, but I want you to know that you've got a knower down inside of you. This is what it says in the book of 1 John. It says, we have an unction of the Holy Spirit and we know all things. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I, I hadn't figured out yet that I know all things. But I've got the one who knows all things living on the inside of me. Now, too much of the time, I don't pay attention to the one who knows all things and his little, still, small voice because all the world is screaming at me and shouting at me. But if I learn to be quiet and let the Holy Spirit lead me, then the one who knows all things, who's down on the inside of my knower, will help me wake up to realize that actually I know all things. And then that's when you can be led by the Spirit of God. I realize they were plotting to harm me. Read on. Here we go. So I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I cannot come. I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I, I, I just got to tell you, I love the King James. The King James says, I'm doing a good work, and I cannot come down. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm doing a good work, and I cannot come down. How many of you know if the enemy can't make you sin... And he can't stop you by scaring you and terrifying you because you've got a leader that stands up and says, I don't know about all of you folks, but in Christ, in his will, we're in the safest place and I'm ready to go. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. How many of you know people like that can change the world? People who will not let fear grip their hearts can change the world. And, and he says, he sent a reply. He says, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. How many of you know when God gets you involved, slap in the middle of what you're doing and you start to see some effect, the greatest thing the enemy will try to do is distract you and pull you away from what you're doing. He wants to get you down into the muck and the mire, away from the attention of what's beginning to happen in your life because you start to see some progress. You start to see some glory of God being revealed in your life. Now, maybe this is just a little too biblical for you, so let me give it to you in 21st century rhetoric. Here we go. I think this sister probably found a better way to say it than any of us know how to say it. One resident describes her horrifying experience when she first realized the complex was on fire. Well, I woke up to go get me a cold pop, and then I thought somebody was barbecuing. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. <laughs> Then I ran out. I didn't grab no shoes or nothing, Jesus. I ran for my life. And then the smoke got her. I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm serious. I'm serious. She's got the word of the Lord right there. Everybody say, ain't nobody got time for that. Now, the, the way the Bible says it, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. But let's put it in today's... Put it in the delta. Put it in southern terminology. Ain't nobody got time for that. Look, look tell the person on the other side, say, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> and what you have to do, somebody said, how do you know when the devil's lying? I said, honey, when his lips are moving. The scripture says he's the father of lies. 
He can't talk unless he deceives or he, he tempts or he accuses. Anything he does is to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you hear his voice, you need to say, uh-uh, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. Uh-uh, ain't nobody got time for that. Why should I stop working? Look at this. Everybody say, how many times? Look here. Four times they sent the same message and each time I gave the same reply. Ain't nobody got time for that. That's what you need to say to the enemy of your soul when the thought comes crossing and, and you're having to wrestle that thing down and you have to remember, I will bless the Lord at all. Matter of fact, that's when you need to start giving God praise because the enemy can't hang out in the same atmosphere where the praises of God are going on. Because the Bible says in Psalm 68, let God arise and his enemies will be scattered. How many of you know when you begin to praise the Lord, his presence will arise in the place you are? and his enemies will have to be scattered. You want to know why? Because God ain't got no time for that. He's not going to put up with that mess. <laughs> You're going to remember this message today, aren't you? All right, I told you I was going to, I got to be brief. Look on, here we go. Uh, what is my little point? Read it out loud with me. Never underestimate the high cost of paying attention to the wrong people. I don't know what your vision is or what God's dropped in your heart or what your dream is, but there's always going to be a detractor. There will always be somebody from the outside. I'm going to tell you, sometimes it's your own friends because you've gotten tired of living in the status quo, Latin for the mess you're in, and you've decided, I'm not going to keep living this way. And you get up and begin to take steps to change things because some divine discontentment has grabbed a hold of you and says, no, I was born for something better than this. God didn't intend for me to live this way. I'm not going to stay in this addictive pattern of behavior. I'm going to overcome this chemical or this alcoholic or this sexual addiction or whatever it is that's plaguing my life, my financial problems, my relationship issues. I'm going to learn to walk and see the kingdom of God advance in my life. And and when you start doing that, it makes people around you who've gotten comfortable in their mess and their rubble and their fear and their greed, it starts to upset them. And sometimes the very people that you think have got you back will start will go and, you know, you just need to kind of settle down a little bit. How many of you know when you're on fire and the person that's just smoldering, sometimes they go, you know, you're just getting a little bit too fanatical. How many of you know, sometimes you know what it takes. Sometimes it takes a little bit of, matter of fact, the word fanatic comes from the word, the word temple dwellers. If we want to tell the truth, that's the, what David said. I want to let the house of God be where I dwell all the days of my life. I want to be a temple dweller. Never underestimate the high cost of paying attention to the wrong people. Now, let's don't put a face on it because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember that, even sometimes the people that are your detractors, you need to realize they're not the enemy, but it's the spirit that's motivating them that's the enemy. How many of you know God's bigger? He's, he, he's bigger. He can deal with it. God ain't got no time for that, all right? Did you, get, did you get something out of that point? Here's the last one. Here we go. Man, I'm doing so good this morning. All right. Don't stop until you get enough. Don't stop until it's done. Don't stop until it's done. Say it with me. Don't stop until... It's done. Let's grab two verses of Scripture in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. So we've said do the right thing. We've said respond the right way is point number two. Why? Why, why are we doing this? Because we're talking about three little things that have a big impact. Because if I can remember to be faithful in little things, if I can do the right thing, 
if I will plant a seed, then a root will grow that will produce good fruit. Because a healthy root will produce good fruit after I plant a seed. So I plant the seed, God honors that. He's going to cause it to produce fruit. So do the right thing, respond the right way, and here's point number three. Don't stop until it's done. Until it. What is it? What is it? What is it? It is your vision. It is, it is a crazy pastor who said he would never come back to his hometown who has been trying to build people and not just buildings. But thank God, in just a few short weeks, we'll be putting a shovel in the ground and we will be breaking ground to see a building come up out of, out of 30 acres that we've had paid for since 2010. And we're grateful for that. We're not going to stop until it's done. But my goodness, when we get that done, it's, it's time to crank it up another notch. It's not time to rest. Don't stop until it's done. This is what I want you to see. Look here. October 2nd, the wall was finished. Everybody say, finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. I love it. Now, leave, leave the scripture right there. I'm about to get it. I, after we had begun is such an important phrase. There's just so much here that I'm leaving out. I don't have time because I, I, I want to be able to get you out of here reasonably. And then we got a second service and we're going to baptize five or six. I'm not sure exactly in the next service. So we're excited about that. Give, give God praise. Come on. That's awesome. After we had begun, how many of you know sometimes the hardest thing is just getting started? I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, um, I've, I've, had a, I've wrestled with my weight my whole life. It's up and down. I have, I'm going to tell you, I have, I'm 80 pounds heavier right now than I was just a few years ago. And I went through some health problems and just dealing in the house with Dawn's depression. And just since then, just just trying to get up every day and have a routine and put one foot in front of the other. And uh, whew, i got to breathe. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to bear my heart before you. I'm, I have rubble in my life. I've got struggles. And I, I'll just confess my sin. I like to eat too much. I do, and I don't get enough exercise. And I just ask you to forgive me. That's an area where I'm not doing the right thing. And so I'm, I'm bearing my, my, my testimony before you, and I'm saying, God, give me another round of motivation and the third point I, I can't preach with the authority I can with the first two and so I'm just confessing that to you and I'm, I'm saying help me and pray for me because I'm, I'm praying God help me don't stop till it's done but right now where I am just getting started is hard just just getting started is hard uh, um, you know I, I got in the habit of walking the dogs and then I got my fence built so I didn't have to walk my dogs and, and I thought well I'll get back in the gym now and that hadn't happened yet I did go by and visit them, though. I talked to them. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sort of getting started. <laughs> getting started. I, I don't know. If you're a guest this morning, let me tell you, we just honestly try to keep it real at Victory. And so this is it. And so, you know, I thought, I'll be honest, you know, for years I've dressed in jeans and untucked the shirt on purpose because I read years ago that one quarter, 25% of men in America own a suit. And I know it's not that high in Crittenden County. And I started thinking, you know what? I've been a three-piece suit guy. I had a closet full of them for years and preached that way. And I started thinking, I don't want anything to eliminate the possibility of somebody having an opportunity to come in and hear the gospel. And if the, how, many, how people dress or the kind of clothes they have. So I deliberately began to set the example. And I just want you to know that at some point as I began to gain weight, it was easier just to keep the shirt untucked. And so this morning, some of you wonder why I'm doing this. It's because I'm just, I'm just showing what I don't like to show. This is me. Here I am right here. 
here I am in all of my 320 pounds. And, and so um, I'm, I'm going to get started fresh, but this is where I am. This is my before shot right here. Here we go, baby, right here. Now, I wish that I could say 52 days from now. <laughs> the late night infomercials tell me that I can, but I don't believe that. But I want you <laughs> I'm having a good time. We've got to end this. Everybody say 52 days after we had begun. Come on, put an emphasis on it. After we had begun. So you got to get started. Look at this. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They what? They realized that this work had been what? Done with the what? The help of our God. Now, this is what I want you to see this morning. Whatever your vision is, this part I can, I can, I can have moral authority in. Because I have, bless God, I haven't given up. We're 28 years into this. Look at my principle. Here it is. Be persistent to produce the vision. Say that with me. Be persistent to produce the vision. But now here comes where, it, where I need it in my own personal life right here. Come on. Number two. Be consistent to enjoy it. Woo, I can, get, I can get up a full head of steam and go in there and pump the iron and do the cardio and turn around here in three, four, five, six months and be down 80 pounds and turn around in two years and have it right back up again. Yo, 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 yo. Persistent to produce the vision, be consistent to enjoy it. Now, I, I just want to say this. I'm not trying to make up for from what I've just confessed to you and trying to be real. There are a whole lot of areas that I've got some good consistency in. I've, I've been persistent and I am, I am daily consistent in my, my quiet time and my time with the Lord and my prayer for this church and my standing and believing God and trusting God for you. But I'm, there's still some rubble. There's still some places because every life in this room, you've got a little bit of rubble somewhere. You're wrestling with some fear somewhere. You're greedy about something somewhere. And you have your own battles. And so the sooner we can all come in and just put all the stuff down and just be real and say, you know what? The only one that's perfect is the one we've come to worship and his name is Jesus. And I am going to get my eyes off of everything that is accusing to me, every voice that is telling me how awful and low down and no good and worthless that I am. And you know what I'm going to say? Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. And, I, and I'm not going to stop until it's done. I'm going to keep going. Uh, I'm going to get a little bit of a Winston Churchill spirit about me that says never, 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 never give up. Be persistent to produce the vision. Be consistent to enjoy it. Now, as I close this message this morning, musicians get ready to come back. Come on, Ben or Ray, whoever's going to help me here. Um, I want to tell you what I believe is the ultimate 52-day victory. This today is Palm Sunday. It's what we refer to as Holy Week. Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on the colt donkey. People cut branches down, throw their cloaks, their coats into the street. They wave the palm branches, say, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In just a short few hours, 
we begin the process of Holy Wednesday and Monday, Thursday and Good Friday. And Good Friday in the cosmic scheme of things is not so good because the Son of God who was sinless and impeccable in his lifestyle and everything that he ever did, he was in all points tempted as we are, the Bible says, yet without sin. He lived the example. If anyone has the ability to make the demand out of the, the, the life, the example of doing the right thing, then it is Jesus. We've all blown it somewhere. None of us can earn it or deserve it, but Jesus is the one who has in every jot and tittle kept the law of God because he was the walking embodiment, the nature of God himself. And without just waxing on and on, I'd love to because I just feel that this morning and my love for my Savior. When, when they nailed him to the cross and they threw accusations his way, I believe Jesus remembered Nehemiah when they said, if you're really the Son of God, come down from that cross. And I believe he remembered that Nehemiah said, no, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. I've got to stay right here where I am. I've got to show you how much the Father loves you. He stretched out his arms, had his hands nailed to a wooden cross on a hill between two thieves, and he stretched out and breathed his last, last breath after saying the words, Tadalestai, it is finished, it is paid in full, so that every one of us would know that we could receive the free gift of eternal life, that we didn't have to work for it, earn it, deserve it, merit it in any kind of way, that it was not possible to get it that way, that we had been redeemed, we had been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He hung on the cross enduring, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, enduring the contradiction of sinners. Diction, words, contra, words that are spoken against he endured the insults, the slurs, the accusations being spat upon, sword thrust in his side, every imaginable lie told about him, three mock trials. Come down from there if you're the son of God. No, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. Nehemiah, his name means the comfort of Yahweh. Well, how many of you know the comfort of God hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, this week as we celebrate it? And this will blow your mind. When Nehemiah got the people together and they began, to, they started the work of rebuilding the wall, when they finally got it all together, the help of God showed up and they did it in 52 days. I don't think that's a coincidence. Guess what? From Good Friday to Pentecost Sunday, it's exactly 52 days. So our heavenly Nehemiah came and he issued the decree, I'm going to build a wall of fire. I'm going to build a wall of comfort back around my people because they've had no security. They've not had a safe place. And Nehemiah hung suspended between heaven and earth. And he went into the grave, his body into the ground. His soul is an offering for sin, the Bible says. His spirit to the Father. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the Bible says on the third day he arose. And we celebrate that on Sunday morning. And and so Friday to Sunday is two days. Sunday to Pentecost, Easter to Pentecost is 50 days. 50 and 2 is 52. It took our heavenly Nehemiah 52 days to build a wall of comfort and a wall of protection and a wall of fire, not a wall of stones. As a matter of fact, you are the stones. We are the living stones built up the spiritual house of God, 1 Peter 2, 5 says. 
Come on, I'm talking about how amazing your Savior is today. The ultimate 52-day job is that Jesus, our heavenly Nehemiah, already did this 2,000 years ago. And you know what? It's not a wall you have to rebuild. It's just a wall that you have to find that place of safety. That safest place in the universe is smack dab in the middle. It's called in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new, the old has passed away. Behold, the all, all things are become new. I'd like you to bow your hearts with me, please, right now for a word of prayer. And I want to lift up every person in this room.